0: My name is Joe Toscano, and I have a confession to make. I'm addicted to emergency medicine, but I'm in love with urgent care. I've been doing both for almost 30 years, but this isn't about me. Over those years, I've been privileged to work with and meet many of the people and personalities who have formed and shaped the specialty of urgent care medicine. For a long time, many people have felt that their voices and experiences should be made available to anyone and everyone practicing urgentology. Well, now there's a chance to do just that in a series of podcasts that I hope you'll enjoy and learn from. Thank you for listening. This edition is going to break the mold a bit. I'm going to team up with the Urgent Care Association's CEO and my podcast colleague, Llewellyn Horwitz, to chat with Dr. Aaron Bright. He's the founder and CEO of Hippo Education, which you may recognize as an education partner of UCA and the College of Urgent Care Medicine. Hippo produces and distributes high-quality medical education in many specialty areas, including urgent care. Urgent Care RAP and the Urgent Care Bootcamp are just a few of their offerings. Let's talk with Aaron about his philosophy of practice, education, and life in general. I'm hoping we might even find out how his company got its name. Well, good morning, you guys. We're all all on the West Coast, so it's what 11 or so in the morning for us. Great to see you. Looking forward to a a great conversation. Aaron, I think... uh, Our listeners know Llewellyn and they know me, but you're going to be new to folks, I think, to some extent, your background. And so why don't we start off by you telling us your story? Um, yeah. How'd you start off in medicine and how'd you get into medical education, your, your current position, running HIPPO?
1: Yes, I will uh, I'll give you my story. I'll give you the uh, medium version of my story, not just... <laughs> the train version or the, uh, uh, the somnolent fall asleep version. But, uh, yeah, I'm an ER doctor by training and I, um, I got into education kind of circuitously. I didn't grow up around doctors or anything. I was, um, in residency at uh County at USC and I really, you know, I enjoyed it all. I was a chief resident. I can't, I got out once, once we graduated, I got out of, um, when I got out of training, there was an opportunity to stay in academics. And I was like, I am way too poor and in debt to stay in academics. And so I, <laughs> So I switched, um, and went right into the community and the, the thing that I, I think I learned right away and it really was an honest, uh, sort of cliff. It went from, I always say it was like high fives and unicorns and teamwork and mentors and, and all of that. And sort of everybody being really, everybody being really, um, super happy about, about, um, what they're doing and pride with what they're doing and pride about learning and pride about education and all that stuff. And it just took a dive. And it all became about sort of moving people through the department and all of these different, you know, structural things, all of which are necessary, but it became the system of medicine instead of this utopian moment. And I was mourning that for a couple of years. And I ended up going after a few mm-hmm. years, I was, uh, I ended up being the running a couple of emergency departments in, in the community. And then I really kind of burned down on it for various reasons, not necessarily because of the patients, but because of the Kind of what I was being, you know, I was wasn't having as much fun, and it started to get to me. And I went back to academics and was reminded about how different it is to be in a great program where you're, where everybody's interested in education at the highest level. And so that struck me, and I started, you know, as I was longer and longer, I was in the academic side of things and surrounded by all these young geniuses trying to learn stuff from from old dudes like myself. There was, there was. Um, There's that that desire to sort of fill that gap. And so we decided to start something. We just we're gonna make one thing, we're gonna make a, a test prep that was just way better. It wasn't gonna be boring, it wasn't gonna be biased, it wasn't gonna be um, it wasn't gonna be condescending. It was gonna be like straight human education, the best that we could possibly put out there. We're gonna distill all the complicated, you know, concepts instead of doing the, you know, if it needed to be an hour long, that's fine, but almost nothing needs to be an hour long, right? So we cut it down to seven minutes. If you can talk about something for seven minutes, that's way better than me just stuffing in enough epidemiology for to make an hour work, right? So we started there, started hippo education. Um, I really was just trying to get out of night shifts and maybe maybe sell some of it, but we didn't really know what we were doing. And we, you know, fast forward a while, it really resonated with people. I think it's really seems to be universal that people see that giant drop off from Training. I guess if you're unlucky enough to be in a really awful place that you're training, you might not see it, but from training and then this just big gap. And I think that, that when you leave and that that all kinds of things flow from that. I think that's part of burnout. I think all that's super important. So now, uh fast forward now, I don't know how many years I've been doing this, but I think the company's been around for almost a almost a decade. And we're doing all kinds of different stuff, doing wonderful work with you guys at UCA and and elsewhere. And I feel like there's just still a giant opportunity to make better stuff for the people that are doing all of this frontline work. Like our mission is, is almost is straight up ridiculously honest. And it is to empower the people of medicine to learn, grow and thrive. And we specifically decided it's not the system, right? We don't want to fix the system. I don't want to fix Epic. I don't want to even do Epic, but I do not want to fix Epic either. And uh, and but it's the people. Everybody thinks that the people, as you guys know, that, that the people take care of themselves. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we're too busy now. 1945, you could take care of yourself and keep your education up. But I don't think you can do it in 2021. So that's the the medium story. And then I have all kinds of other parts of life that I do. But that's that's how I got here.
0: <laughs> definitely. Definitely a lot harder these days, I think. That
1: sounded like a governor
0: speech, yeah. man. <laughs>
1: I'm running. Uh, Isn't somebody on recall right now? I got my name in there. It's, there's, there's still writing Mickey mouse. That's me. If you say Mickey mouse.
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so how about, how about the transition from EM uh, over to urgent yeah. care? Like, you know, it's, it's different kind of education, yeah. definitely different scope, but a different audience too. What, what, what uh, catalyzed that? Yeah. That's
1: a great, that, you know, I, first of all, I started working in urgent cares as an EM person Really early on, even in residency, I was I was moonlighting in urgent cares. I really think that there is a um, there is a uh, there's a knowledge base, like the a very specific way to approach urgent care medicine that I don't think a lot of people know unless you're in the middle of urgent care medicine. And we talked about this in a different venue, actually, but it's really true that if you're coming from wherever you're coming from, that urgent care can be quite a surprise because you're either too much focused on everybody's got a spinal abscess, or you're too much focused on nobody has a spinal abscess, right? So when you have this unique group of people where you're sort of self-selecting for people who don't think that they're the walking dying, right? But they can be. And that needle in a haystack kind of like, can we rule out everything on the emergency medicine side to our satisfaction, to where I feel like I'm not going to hurt anybody and I'm going to help most people. And then- also know how to treat all the stuff that you're actually coming in for that probably isn't an emergency. That's so unique. And, um, I've always appreciated that. And so is my, my team. And now that we're bigger and I have all these much smarter clinicians on my team than, than me, we, um, we're just really interested in helping, um, I guess just, uh, um, solidify that, you know, sort of translate that into a, in some, into some education and give it like the respect that it deserves because it's hard. You can't say the 38 sentence that I'm saying to try to describe it, right? You have to be sort of exposed to it. So we do a podcast for urgent care, um, clinicians called urgent care wrap. And we do this urgent care boot camp with UCA and the college. And I feel like, um, what we've done there and I'm really proud of us all doing there is sort of saying, this is a serious place. And if you come in here casually, you know, do it to your, to your, uh, you should be fearful of that. There's come out here with a real respect for this. And I think um, as much as all these other sort of more established, if you will, specialties, um, urgent care has its rightful place. So I love the idea of giving people pride of working there. I want to support that in every way we can. I want to show people who think that it might not be that, you know, that maybe it is, a, if you think it's a side place to be urgent care, well, you're wrong. And so the idea of supporting the the zeitgeist that, 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 that that's true is also very exciting for us. And the feedback's been amazing too. And so it's been it's been fun so far
0: fantastic to be preaching to the choir with our listeners. And, yeah. and the cooperation with CUCM and UCA is is very, very much
1: appreciated. Yeah, that's no, wonderful. For sure.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that partnership a little bit. Um, you know, you have the relationship with UCA and with the college. I know that you have a program with the American Academy of Physician Assistants, soon to be Physician Associates. Um, what is mm-hmm. it about what, what is it that appeals to you about creating those kinds of relationships versus just going at this audience by yourself
1: yeah that's a good question too i think that the uh, the honest answer is that there's a we like to go so i always tell people that i really am it's almost ridiculous i'm sure there's there's lots of money left on the table in my business because i we try to do if we can't do something amazing we don't want to do it i don't want to sort of fill the you know, all of the check boxes and, and make everything that's possible to make if we can't make it great. So we've grown in a hodgepodge kind of way. And one of the reasons that's true is that, you know, first of all, well, there's lots of reasons that's true, but to your point, we're interested in working with people that have that same culture that we have, which is like people of medicine first, uh, do the right thing. And we have a whole list of values that are super real in our company. And one of them is to do the right thing, which is really useful to have this stuff up in front of you and say like, oh, well, should we make that, uh, should we make that Voldemort education over here that'll make us a hundred million dollars? Like, no, that's not the right thing to do. Right. So we, so we have been uh, in search of organizations that have those passionate people and, ha- you know, a lot of them are doing their own education or different kinds of things. But if you have that passion and we're simpatico in that way that you think about medicine, um, then we end up being able to, I feel like we can amplify what each other are doing. That's definitely true with the uh, UCA and the college of urgent care medicine. I feel like it's a amplification of it's really two parallel tracks of moving all this great stuff forward and all these important uh, issues forward. But at the same time, um, sort of playing on each other's strengths. So at UCA, right, there's a giant reach. We I don't, I don't spend all day advocating for everything about urgent care medicine. And you folks do, and that is super valuable to us. And again, mission synergistic, if you will. I said synergistic. Very, very impressive. Bad business word. That's <laughs> right, but it is true. Yeah,
2: agree, agree. You know, you you alluded to this a second ago. Um, you know how you really only try to do things that are that you can do really, really well, and that is one of the things that you are known for. Yeah. Compared to everything else that's out there, is just how great your stuff is. Um, how yeah, yeah. have you you know coming at this from a leadership perspective how have you built a company that sets and sticks to that level of excellence particularly while growing fast there there's no shortage yeah. of opportunities say a little bit more about about where you were going with that
1: yeah yeah it's yeah there's um i think that's where we started right the the idea that it's not even a particularly um attractive industry quote unquote to be in really because if you think about CME in general, there's people making medical education from all different places and some of it's great and some of it's terrible and and we started really that core was only that we wanted to be proud of what we were doing and arrogantly or not, we were like, you know here's a particular field you know emergency medicine or or um uh, or peds or family medicine we're in a whole bunch of different uh, specialties now, but we would look and say, wow, that could be better. It really could be better. And not just better because we're going to make a joke here and there, which we totally do. And we're going to be, we're going to admit when it's hard and we're going to admit when we don't know what we're doing. And we're all going to learn this together. And, but that we would see people skimming over stuff. It's all, this is how medical educator people who are not conscious do this stuff, right? If you don't know what you're talking about, just fill a slide with words and data and crap. And then just like, just start talking through it. And eventually you're going to tell everybody something they didn't know. And they're going to go, oh, maybe this person does know what they're doing, but it's total nonsense, right? If you really know what you're doing, you should probably get it down to something that everybody's going to learn from you. Weirdly enough, whether it's just human egos or whatever that um, happened less than we, we saw. So we started that way and then we would just be hyper focused. I mean, there's nothing magical to it. We would look at it and go like, we'd, we'd record something and we'd go back home in the middle of the night and I'd look at it and go, oh, that sucked, it was horrible. I <laughs> I'd Just do it again. And then we'd find somebody, or we can't do it. I'm not good enough. We do find somebody else. And that was such a rewarding thing to do in terms of our own uh, pride, but it was also something I think that allowed us to gain a foothold in an in old, old industry. You know, it wasn't like that. It was just everything was bad about it. It was bad mics and bad lighting and bad video and bad, you know, everything. At best, you got some super genius and you went away from your talk thinking, God, I'm an idiot. That guy's fantastic. She's amazing. And, you know, that was the best thing that could happen to you. And the worst thing that happens, is you had somebody here. You know, I don't know what I did for the last hour, but I just filled this exact 60 minutes. Why? How is that possible? So we've been, you know, we, you just, I guess the real answer is you just have to, you have to keep focus on it and then accept nothing less. We don't want to put anything out there. We have our people, our team will point it out. I'll go, look, I just made this podcast. Isn't it great? And they go, no, this is horrible. And I go, so I have to, you know, it's a check and balance, but hopefully we're going to stay on that, you know, on that high road for forever. Because I think that if we don't, then you very quickly become, you know, the vanilla of the industry. And then I don't want to be here doing that. So that's that,
2: that's, that's cool. that wonderful moment when your team starts doing it, that, you know, this is part of our culture and yeah, we're never going to do anything. That's not this, because yes. it's, it's not who we are. That's super cool. So,
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. Super important. Much better as a team. And when you realize it doesn't have to be just one or two people, it's the whole team keeping you afloat. That's, that's when I started to feel safe from a, you know, from a, from a standpoint of that, I think we're going to be sustainable for a long time because it's not just one person holding up a job as the
2: leader. If you, I think the hard part about that is you have to stick to it so tightly because once you start to compromise, it becomes okay for everybody. And just that level of discipline at the leadership is leadership at the top is, is hugely important. So kudos to you on that.
1: Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Culture. It's all, it's all, all these cliches are true, right? They're all, they're all just, um, If you screw up your culture, you screwed up the whole thing at best. If you, I guess if you have a terrible culture, but you invented like a levitation machine, then maybe you'd make it through, (laughs) but otherwise you're in trouble. You got to keep that culture strong.
2: Give us a call. If you figure that out,
1: (laughs) I I can't tell you I'm under NDA. It
2: it goes without saying that it's been a rough year and a half um, for our country and particularly for medicine, particularly for urgent care and emergency medicine. Um, You know, I think people are, burnout from talking about burnout, but it, you know, as we think about that, it's very easy to start to lose faith that things are going to get better. I think all of us, you know, those of us who even support those industries have suffered. So when you're, you and your team talk about that and, you know, hear things from your customers, um, students, I don't even know if you call them customers or students, but how, you know, how are you all getting through this and helping your yeah, constituents get through this
1: yeah yeah i think it's a really complicated question it has been the it's been a really mix. i'm sure joe feels the same way it's been a mix of like massive pride to watch what we're doing in as people of medicine to in in what has been this torture chamber of of not only pandemic but but Unpredictably, right? Who could possibly have predicted that we would decide to make a virus super political, right? And just fight and fight each other is insane, right? So the the burden of that, I think, falls a lot on the on the healthcare community as well. And so it's been really rough. And I wish there wasn't an easy answer. One of those things is again what we try to do is focus on it and just try to keep on top of. Because I think there's been some waves about what, you know, the beginning was we're just overwhelmed. We're getting crushed with patients. Then it was like, well, wait, what's happening here? Now we're getting people angry at us for wearing a mask when we go outside. So there, it's following that, which is, can be very uncomfortable. It's like living in Twitter, right? Nobody wants to live in Twitter. And so the, that's a piece of it. But I think what we try to do in general about burnout, which I think is a absolute catastrophe, even outside of um, of COVID is that we try to make it, I think I've come up with a framework that works for me, which is, I once heard somebody say that, I think it was a woman, a physician, she's from UCSF, but she said, the difference between what you are capable of doing, so I'm raising my hand at a high bar here, what you're capable of doing, what you want to do, and then what the system, and it doesn't mean the system is, you know, any evil entity, but whatever environment lets you get to, which is lower than that. You want to be at nine and a half, you can only do seven and a half as hard as you can possibly work. The difference between those two is burnout, right? And there's a lot of things that contribute to that. One of the things that I think we thrive on at hippo is to is to I think that the theory makes sense, which is that as clinical people, we've all grown up around education and learning, if you will, and if you think about it in a non cliche way, it's true. To the point where there's something that's very important to us. There are people in the world where learning is not the first thing on their minds all the time. To get even where you are seeing patients or whether you are you know, running organizations or um, helping in healthcare, you've had to go through a tremendous amount of, of education. If you hated education and hated learning, if it wasn't important to you, it'd be hard to imagine you actually ending up in that spot. So we always say that there's a foundation, like a Maslow's hierarchy for clinicians, where the foundation of us probably has a lot to do with our education and the, and the upkeep and um, there's a word, but solid solidness, you know, the, the, the stability of that foundation. And then weirdly few of us don't really think about it this deeply, but I think we build things on top of that foundation that don't even have anything to do with medicine, like, like relationships and marriages and, and our own health and, And if we crack that foundation of like, I'm doing the foundation has to be, I go into work every day thinking I am doing the best I can possibly do for these patients. If you crack that because you don't have your education up to date, things start toppling all over the place. And I think all of those things are burnout, but weird things start toppling. And I think um, if you think about it, you see it everywhere. And so what we try to do is make help people keep that education foundation up to speed in the fastest way you can in the best way you can in the most um, in the way where you're feeling less and less, like you're only doing this on your own. Like we're going to talk to you like that we're in this as a team Mm -hmm. and because we are that if you can do that, uh, then we can help that burnout at the core. Right. So you can, because if you've got COVID coming at you and you feel like you're about 60% of what you were when you graduated from residency and you kind of feel behind, then that shame combines onto this workload and then all of a sudden you got this burnout. So we try to talk about as much as we can, figure out what you can do to put the salve on it. But I think from a from a real fundamental way, we're trying to solve it at its source, even if people are never aware of it. For me, especially, that's, that's true. When I go into work thinking I'm competent, Everything else is easier. And if I go in thinking, like, oh, I hope I hope a gunshot wound doesn't come in through this part of the chest today, because I forgot how to clamp the phrenic. all right. I, I don't forget how to clamp the phrenic nerve. That's bad to clamp the phrenic nerve. I want that to go down records bad. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, long story, long, long answer to that. But that's I think that's the I think that's the answer.
0: That was a great transition into my usual last question for most of my mm. podcast guests. But I have to ask one first hippo yeah the name hippo. is it an yeah. acronym is it yes. we have so much to learn it's as big as a hippo where how did you guys come so up with that you name? asked me
1: that. so glad you asked me that because it is funny mm. there's a, it is so polarizing So some people come at me and go, like, oh, I know exactly what that means. And some people cannot figure it out forever. And most people, I think, in medicine can't figure it out. But my mom was like, oh, hippo, like Hippocrates. And I'm like, that's exactly right. So what is an acronym? Is it hippo like Hippocrates? I came up with that in the middle of the night in a fever dream 10 years ago. And (laughs) And then I've been running with it ever since. And it's funny, it's a running joke at the company which is um, if you put that, you know, I've disallowed all hippopotamuses in the company. I go, I will not have it. I will only have Hippocrates bus. (laughs) (laughs) I won't have it. So what do I get? Every, every two weeks, I find a giant glass hippopotamus on my, on my desk, but I haven't fought it because what you said is also true. Like it's big as a hippo. Mm Did you get as much to whatever? We used to have a t-shirt that said um, hippo education, or we'll flip your canoe. And it had like a canoe <laughs> flipped over with and him. like a little ears coming out. And I said, no, I'm not allowed. So, so, but yes, Hippocrates. Yes. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, there's something about, you know, how do you eat hippo too? It's like one one bite at a time or something like that. So I was wondering yes. if that. Hits. Exactly. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the animal. So I get it. Exactly. Cool. Well, I mean, you, you're an educator, physician, philosopher. Um, what What advice would you give? All of our listeners, Llewellyn, Llewellyn's and mine, about what's important um, in life, in practice, to to stay happy and keep going.
1: That's the that's the answer, right? So I would well, preface it by saying I have no idea, but I do have, but I do have an opinion. I think for myself, um, and I look at myself as a younger person, and then as 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 getting older, what's mattered to me is is And there's lots of ways to say it, but I think it's becoming more and more in the um, culture of humanity almost, which is to try your best to live as close to in the moment as you possibly can, which is so obvious, but so important to remember like all the time there's a Latin phrase, memento Mori, right. Which has become very popular. It's like a stoic phrase, but the idea that the, this is going to get a little weird, but that the, the past is gone. Like it's gone. It doesn't exist. It's gone. It's beforehand, right? We're not tra- time travelers. And then the future isn't here yet. So worrying about it too much seems a little kooky and to try to sit in the space of what you're doing in the moment, I think is, I think that might be, it's impossible, right? Our brains are hardwired to worry about stuff in the future or worry about stuff in the past um, because we're like worried about being monkeys in a tree And like somebody told me the, the, the reason we're so anxious and fearful and always thinking of this or that is that when you're a monkey, you have two options. You can sit all day and just focus on the good things and just be like, this is the best monkey life ever. And then you'll live about two days and get eaten by a tiger. And then if you think of yourself every time that a a leaf rustles, I'm about to die and I need to run for my life. You live forever. So there you go. We hardwired that into our brains. But I think for me, it's like trying to figure out a way to live in the moment. Kids totally help like sitting and being able to meditation helps sort of sitting and focusing on those important moments and realizing how much you're probably missing all day while we think about the past or the future. That's my secret. So if anybody sees me on the street and realizes as I'm complaining about the future or the past, you can feel free to slap me about the head and be like, you said in that podcast. So that's, that's my, uh. That's my theory. I want to go back and listen to all the other theories though, but I like it. Yeah. I like it. Cool.
0: Perfect. Sounds great. Well, thank you very much for
1: spending time with us.
0: Yeah. It's been great to hang out with you as always.
1: It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. It was nice chatting with you. I'm, I'm hopeful for much more and I'm hopeful for uh, the future of medicine past pandemics. And I'm, I'm excited you guys are doing what you're doing too. So thanks for the time. Thanks for being part of it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Please be on the lookout for more conversations with
0: more of the very interesting people from the past, present, and future of urgent care medicine on the Urgentology podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at jtoscano64 at gmail.com. And thank you again for listening.